Hello and welcome to Crawford Media. My name is Hal Crawford and today I'm going to be talking about the AI language model called GPT-3 and the impact that model and its successes are going to have on people like me. People who have made a life and a living writing. I'll state straight up that this thing, this piece of technology which knows how to write, but not what it is writing, has had a profound impact on me. For a long time I've been thinking about the role language plays in thinking and how the English language as a whole, for example, seems to have a life of its own, apart from the people it inhabits. If that sounds like a strange way of thinking about it, well, I think it all started when I worked at the Australian digital news portal 9MSN. That was the most popular news site in the country at the time, and was a great place to be in contact with the zeitgeist. I spent years communing with the zeitgeist through the analytical tools which told us how many people were reading and watching the content. In the end, I found out that you could meaningfully think of the audience as an entity in its own right, an entity whose characteristics emerged from the behaviour of the individuals, but was somehow more than those individuals. That's exactly the same feeling I got when I fired up my GPT-3 guest account for the first time. I felt I was face to face with a different entity. In GPT-3's case, that entity is the English language, stripped of morality or any concern for truth. What it says may be true or it may not. The AI doesn't care. That's a problem, as you'll hear from people I've spoken to about this. I'm going to explore this AI transformer and its implications over the next two Crawford Media podcasts. In doing so, I've spoken to two experts in education technology. Why education? Well, after reading a Twitter thread from Mike Sharples, who works at the Open University in the UK, I realised that education was ground zero for the GPTs. This is where the transformers are landing as we speak. Before we hear what the humans think, let's see what the AI has to say for itself. Walking out one evening, I woke up in my bed. The light running through the blind stuck a beam across my head. A pair of eyes looked out of mine and watched me as I lay. I wondered if I was asleep or if I'd died that day. The eyes were not my own, but I felt no fear. The body that they looked from was lying very near. The eyes just stared and stared and I knew they wanted me. I rose up from my bed and walked across to see. The body on the floor was lying very still. The eyes were staring up at me, but the body had no will. GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer and it's a type of artificial intelligence made from a network modelled on the neurons of a human brain. The poem you just heard was written by the AI based on the first 26 words which I provided as a seed. The AI did the rest, obeying the rhyming scheme and completing the majority of the poem. I didn't tell it to develop the nightmarish doppelganger theme, which somehow represents the AI's process itself. This AI is indeed a body with no will. Here's the Open University's Emeritus Professor Mike Sharples on how the machine works. I mean, there have been a few times in my life when I've come across a new AI product 
that really astounds me. No, I, th I think I know how AI works and then something happens that just shocks me. Uh, and GPT-3 was one of those. So in essence, it's just a very sophisticated sentence completer. Uh, it's been trained on millions of texts from the internet. It forms a neural network and uses that neural network to look back over the last four or 500 words that have been written, and then to take the text story forwards. So in terms of its functioning, there's nothing you know, particularly novel about it except its size. But the way it performs really shocked me. I mean, in two ways. One, it's incredibly fluent. Uh, so everything it produces is grammatical. Uh, it's generally well-formed. Uh, it has structure, at least local structure to it. But at times it spouts absolute nonsense. And it's that combination of surface fluency and that deep lack of understanding that really shocked me. OpenAI is the Silicon Valley company that made GPT-3. I urge you to go to their site and sign up for a guest account. You'll discover what Mike is talking about. This AI is an accomplished writer, confident and shockingly fluent. Until you get to the howlers, that is. Such as the time the machine told my mate Dave that kangaroos can be found in Australia, but are native to New Zealand. Form and feeling reign supreme, and reference to the world can be jettisoned at will. Meaning arises only for the reader. The writer never meant a thing. Yeah, and that's another thing that it's worth mentioning, is that it's not a plagiarism system. It doesn't copy words and sentences from articles that it's read before or stories that it's read before. You can take any sentence just about that it's produced and put that into Google and there's no example of it on the web, on previous texts. So it's not plagiarizing, it's generating, it's creating genuinely new text on any theme that you give it. It's a universal story machine. Now, one of my recent obsessions has been to contemplate what will happen when a machine can generate compelling stories. It warmed my heart to find in Mike Sharples someone who has not only contemplated this, but written a book about it. The book, called Story Machines, will be released in July 2022. Mike is a specialist in education technology, and he's been involved in AI and its impact on education for a long time. I sought him out because of my interest in machine story generation. This is such an important area because as humans, we can't avoid paying attention to stories. They're all around us and they are how we understand ourselves. What happens when computers can generate better stories than us? We have seen how social media companies can pull your attention in every direction based on content and interface design. How much further will the war for your attention escalate when generating a compelling story is as easy as clicking a button? You're right that we are attuned to stories at different levels. So at the neural level, the sense impressions that we get through our eyes and our ears and our nose um, are somehow all integrated into a continuous flow. 
we see the world, we see time as flowing by. And yet all the different impressions that we get come in a very jumbled way. Even the time that it takes to register a smell is different to the time it takes to register uh, a, an audio sound, to register a picture. So at a deep neural level, uh, humans create these artificial flows of time. And at a cognitive level, we are creatures of narrative. We think around stories. You know, when somebody tells you a good story, it resonates. And then at the social level, we're always looking for stories that make sense to us. That's why we read blogs, why we look on social networks to find the stories that resonate with us. So in a very deep sense, human beings are story machines, which probably explains why when you come across a, a new tool like GPT-3 that is such a good story generator, it it, it resonates with us. We want to believe in it, even if it's lying to us, even if it's giving us plausible, believable nonsense. Everything about our minds is designed to find patterns and to process those patterns into stories that help us understand. Understand just about everything. The things we tell ourselves about ourselves, our families, cities and nations all these things come to us in the form of stories. The storytelling and understanding starts young. So one uh, instruction I gave it was to write a short story for children on the title of A Happy Spider. And what it did was write a coherent, about 500 words, very short story of a young child who'd lost her teddy bear, went into the woods, found a spider, uh, and climbed up the spider's web, talked to the spider who understood that she had lost her teddy bear, went off to find it and brought it back to her. I, I read this and thought, well, not bad as a short story, but then how does it know that only in children's fiction could a child climb a spider's web? Somehow it's produced this representation in its neural network that spider's webs in children's fiction are things that you can climb up and that spiders in children's fiction are uh, animals that you can talk to. So GPT-3 knows that kids climb spider webs and animals talk. It also knows that university essays include citations and that poems that begin rhyming continue rhyming. Or rather, it appears to know these things. Without a mind to know, how can it know anything? Way back in the 1990s, I studied artificial neural networks at university. These are hardware and software systems based on brains. Our brains encode information about the world in a network that is trained by repetition. Pathways that lead to successful outcomes are strengthened. Those that lead to unsuccessful outcomes are weakened. AI neural networks do exactly the same thing. Do enough training and eventually the network learns how to do things like recognise faces, drive a car or write sentences, almost by magic. But there's a catch to the magic. As humans, we don't know how our brain works. And similarly, the coders who built GPT-3 don't know how it does what it does. I think, well, firstly, we used to tools like sentence completers on your mobile phone or now on your email 
that will give you the next word or two of what you're writing. And it all seems pretty superficial and sometimes pretty annoying when you write some words and it comes up with, you know, the next word for you to write, uh, which is usually the wrong one. Uh, it doesn't fit with your train of thought. So we're all kind of used to those very limited surface ones, but what's different is that it has a much bigger attention span. So it can look back over the last 500 words or so. So if you've written half a blog piece, it can look back over that uh, words you've already written. And it's been trained on billions of words and millions of previous pieces of text. Basically every book that's been written and is online, all of Wikipedia, many, many other blog postings, news articles, and so on. And it's difficult for us to comprehend just how it's managed to uh, firstly assimilate that and then transform it into an internal representation, an internal neural structure that's now about as big as a frog's brain in terms of the number of interconnections. And then from that internal mysterious neural representation, being able to then generate text. So in a sense, it doesn't surprise me because uh, neural network systems were going that way uh, in terms of being able to play sophisticated games like Go, uh, being able to understand protein structures and generate new protein structures. So we were kind of expecting that, but when you actually engage with it, interact with it, that's when it's really surprising just how fluent it is. GPT-3 not only invents stories and generates convincing text, it can also summarize complicated writing. In fact, in the short term, this could be its most useful function. My experience here was instructive. As a budding Stoic, I have been reading the handbook of ancient Roman philosopher Epictetus. I came to a particularly dense passage and a thought crossed my mind. Before I read it and reread it to find out what exactly it meant, why not just cut and paste it into GPT-3 and see what happens? The result blew me away. Let me read it for you. Quote, If someone is being really confident about understanding something that you don't understand, don't worry about it. Just remember that you're trying to understand nature, and if someone else can help you do that, that's a good thing. Don't get too caught up in worrying about what you don't understand. Unquote. Without seeing the original, it will be hard for you to judge the quality of this summary, but the original really is just too long and convoluted to include here. After the AI had delivered the summary, I read the original through several times. I couldn't fault what GPT-3 had boiled it down to, and I found myself feeling the summary was better than Epictetus's original. This seemed to me far deeper than the party trick of making up a story or poem. Mike Sharples had a similar experience. One thing I did do was instruct it to uh, write a uh, description of string theory and nuclear physics for a young child. <laughs> and it did an amazing job. Mike didn't save his answer from the AI, so I logged on myself and asked GPT-3 to write a description of string theory for a young child. This is what it came back with. String theory is a theory in physics that suggests that everything in the universe is made of tiny strings. 
These strings vibrate at different frequencies, which create the different particles that make up everything around us. So how do you reckon it did? I was pretty impressed. And note that unlike the poem at the beginning of the podcast, this excerpt was actually voiced by an AI as well. An AI that comes with the software I use to actually cut the podcast together, which is called Descript. So that little description of string theory had no human input, apart from my question and some cutting and pasting on my behalf. This is the world we are heading into at breakneck speed. And I think in the future, this could go in two directions. Uh, either we can say, look, you know, this is a dangerous tool. It's, you know, it's producing this kind of plausible, believable, but often inaccurate text is something that we just got to reject. And otherwise we're going to be you know, too taken in by it, too beguiled by it, or we just adopt it as we've adopted many other technologies as tools for fun, um, as tools to entertain us. So in the future, these sorts of AI transformer generators will be at the heart of uh, new entertainment systems. So already we've got characters in computer games that are being generated by AI, and you're going to get AI soap operas, AI TV series that have characters that are entirely generated by AI. And we'll come to believe in them, we'll come to resonate with them, we'll come to want to know more because they tell good stories. So it could go in different directions. And I don't know whether we're just going to reject them as being fakes and frauds uh, and spouting plausible nonsense, or whether we're really going to take them up and embrace them. I told you I was going to deal with this topic in two parts. I'll wind up this part by summarising a few points. 1. GPT-3 is available for anyone to use right now. 2. It can invent completely original stories and essays, make summaries of difficult texts, and engage in written conversation. At the moment, it's limited in length to about 500 words at a time. 3. Using the AI feels to me like a dialogue with the English language fluent, unknowing, and potentially monstrous. In the next part of this investigation of GPT-3 and its amazing linguistic abilities, I am going to explore the implications of having an online tool that can generate passable essays for less than a cent. To me, it seems like education is a natural beachhead for language generators because like GPT-3, students often learn by mimicking. They read essays, assimilate the styles and conventions of their particular discipline, and learn to faithfully regurgitate the theories of their professors. That may seem uncharitable, but I think it's mostly accurate when I reflect on my university days. Probably I was never a really top student, but then most people aren't top students. How will this majority deal with the temptation of a machine that can summarise and write for them? Thanks to Mike Sharples for speaking to me. You'll hear more from Mike next week. And thanks too to my friend Rob Burgess for voicing the doppelganger poem. I won't thank Ethan, the voice AI, because he's not a person yet. See you next week, and thanks for listening to Crawford Media.